0: We're in the book of 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, somewhere in that frame of reference. If you're new to the Bible, 1 Peter's close to the back, and uh, we've been in 1 Peter for a while, so I won't give you any more instructions this morning other than that, and hope that you can find that on your own. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8, it says this, you are coming to Christ, who's the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you're his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the great honor that God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble. He is the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 4 through 8, the word of the Lord. Did you know that right now, this morning, somewhere in Ontario, there is somebody who has won $15 million and does not know it. The February 10th Lotto 649 ticket was drawn, and it's been three weeks, and nobody has come forward to claim it. And I can just imagine, they know that it was sold in Woodstock, Ontario, and so they're trying to find somebody who does not know that they are a millionaire. It's a possibility that that winning ticket, that little piece of paper, is sitting on a pile of papers on their countertop, right? How many of you have a piling system in your countertop at home? Yeah, guilty as charged. Elaine's always on my case for it. Or maybe that little slip of paper has fallen into that crack, that abyss, you know, that no man's land Exists between the car seat and the console? How many of you have stuff that falls at? Yeah. Or or maybe, maybe that little Lotto 649 ticket got thrown out with the pizza box. Who knows? That person may not even know how rich they are. But whatever you do, do not try and do this. All right? (laughs) I can just imagine this guy like, this is legit. Don't try and do that, all right? Ah, You know, there are currently over 30 unclaimed lottery winners in Ontario alone with jackpots of over $10,000. There's over 30 of them. Here in Canada, if you happen to win the lottery, you have exactly one year from the draw date to claim your money, and if you don't, you lose it. It's gone. In 2017 alone, that year... Canadians let $46 million slip away in unclaimed lottery prizes. $46 million in unclaimed winnings. That's crazy. A few weeks ago, Pastor Darren talked about winning the lottery, and we didn't get any angry phone calls during the week, and I don't think anyone got mad at Darren, so that's a good thing. Uh, No one gave him trouble. We're moving away from a legalistic approach to faith that thinks that certain activities are sinful and we're simply just trying... Altogether, to be careful that we're only controlled by the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is that might be controlling us that's not God, then we need to call that instead. So the days when the hate-filled man who indulged in lust and greed and envy yet judged anyone who happened to buy a lottery ticket or have a glass of wine with a meal, those are moving behind us, and yet I, personally, remain vigilant. I remain careful. I have a friend who struggles with a gambling addiction. In fact, over the years, I've had three friends who've struggled with gambling addictions. Two of them were Christians, church leaders. And so we do need to be careful about anything that becomes addictive, including gambling. But here's why I wanted to share this opening thought about unclaimed winning lottery tickets. Here's why. Because some of you people who think, who follow Jesus, rightfully think that it's absolutely ridiculous that someone who has won the lottery could be so careless, so unknowing, so cavalier, so naive about their winnings. It's crazy. And yet, you have Jesus. You have the Savior of the world who calls you his friend. And some of us, we treat Jesus like a throwaway pizza box. Like a pile of papers on a kitchen counter. Like an unclaimed lottery ticket. You've won the lottery of eternity with Jesus. And some of you are not claiming that prize. You are missing millionaires. The prize is slipping through your fingers and you don't realize just how rich you are. Jesus is Your unclaimed winning lottery ticket. So this morning I want to talk to you about that. How Jesus is is precious. How he's priceless, how he's the sweetest rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words. What other God could love us that way? We sang that, only a holy God. Name above all names, I want to magnify Jesus in my sermon today, and I hope this morning as we look at 1 Peter together, that you will realize fresh just how amazing, how precious, how valuable your Jesus is. So my sermon is titled, Chosen and Cherished. And next week, Pastor Darren is going to talk about how God views you as being chosen and cherished. And I'm not going to preach his sermon. He's really excited about that. And so this morning, we want to begin by realizing that that's how God first sees Jesus. Before he views any of us as chosen and cherished, beloved by him, God Loves Jesus. Jesus is precious to God the Father. Just take a look at our passage. You can see it show up again and again and again. Verse 4. Jesus is the living cornerstone and the rest of the church is built on him. It's pretty important. Verse 4. God chose Jesus for a great honor. I love that word, even though the Americans spell it wrong. Verse 5. All of us are priests because of Jesus. He's the high priest And we're all priests because of him. Verse 6, Jesus is chosen by God for great honor, just in case you missed it the first time. Verse 6, everyone who trusts in Jesus is going to find grace in the end. Verse 7, we have to recognize the honor that God has given to Jesus. The three keys to learning, repetition, 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 right? You know, the disciples followed Jesus up a mountain one day. And they know that Jesus is really special. Like they have left their homes. They've left their families. They've left everything that they know to follow this itinerant preacher man. And in the last couple years following this guy, they've seen some really incredible things. They've seen Jesus do some marvelous things. And so they're starting to realize that Jesus might just be who he claimed to be. And so they follow him up this mountain. And while they're on top of the mountain, something happens to Jesus. He starts to glow. And I don't know if he started off with just a, just a low glow, like, a, like the dimmer switch on, 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 a, on a light switch or something like that, but pretty soon he's blazing like the sun. Like they can't even look at him. His clothing is dazzling white, and everyone's forgot their sunglasses at home. And as Peter and John and James are watching, all of a sudden there's two other happy, shiny people that show up there with Jesus. It's Moses. Moses. And it's Elijah. You know, Elijah went to heaven in the fiery chariot? That guy. I I don't know how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. I mean, they couldn't just Wikipedia their their photographs or anything. How did they know? I don't know. But they knew. They knew. Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Like, Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest men who ever lived, two of the greatest men in history, heroes of the faith. These boys, Peter, James, and John, have have been their whole lives, like from Levin's age, they've learned about how great Moses is and how great Elijah is. And Peter is ready right now to recognize that Jesus is this, this guy that he's been following for the last couple of years is every bit as great as Moses and Elijah. He's ready to recognize that, that Moses and Elijah and Jesus are all pretty great. And so Peter blurts out, he says, Hey, this is super cool. Let's build three shrines up here on top of the mountain. One for Moses and one for Elijah and one for you, Jesus. Yeah, let's do that. He thinks that Jesus is as great as Moses or Elijah. And that's a pretty big confession, especially for a good Jewish boy. But it's not big enough. Matthew 17, 5 says, even as Peter says this, a bright cloud comes over them and a voice speaks from the cloud and says, this is is my beloved son. This one. And I am fully pleased with him. Listen to him. You see, it is not enough for people to think that Jesus was simply a great man. It's not enough for people to recognize that he was a prophet. Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad all on the same level. No, no. It's not enough. It's not enough to think that Menno Simons and Conrad Grable and Jesus. It's not enough. Moses and Elijah and Jesus. It's not enough. When God thinks about his beloved, precious son, Jesus, there is nobody like him. There is no second place in God's eyes. God the Father loves his son, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is precious to God the Father. God hears the cries of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt thousands of years before Jesus because of Jesus. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord and he landed high and dry because of Jesus. King David is a man after God's own heart because of Jesus because of his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, Jesus. And you and me, same thing. Martin Luther knows God's grace because of Jesus. John Wycliffe is loved by God because of Jesus. John Bunyan is loved by God because of Jesus. George Mueller, my hero, is loved by God because of Jesus. And you... And me, our Heavenly Father loves us because He loves Jesus. That's why He loves us. There's never been anyone like Jesus in the eyes of God the Father. You remember when Jesus first started out his ministry and, and he got baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River and and uh, George, John doesn't even want to really he's kind of reluctant to baptize Jesus, right? Do you remember what happens after he baptizes him? In Matthew chapter 3, it says this. It says that as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened up. And he saw the the Spirit of God descending like a dove. I don't know if it was an actual dove or if it just kind of looked like a dove. I don't know what the simile is. But then a voice from heaven says, this is my dearly beloved son. This is my son. And he brings me great joy. God loves Jesus. As much as your dad Tries his best to love you, however perfect or imperfect he might do at it. That's, that's nothing compared to how God feels about Jesus. Jesus is precious to God the Father. So the second thing that we want to see out of this passage then is that Jesus is precious to true believers. To people who actually believe, Jesus is precious to them. Look at verse 4. You are coming to Jesus. Verse 5 and 6, you are living stones placed by God on the cornerstone that is Jesus. Verse 6, you are the holy priests of Jesus. Verse 7, you trust in Jesus. Now, I know I get a little repetitive over this point. I know that I, 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 I'm a Jesus freak. I'm sorry about it. But here's the way I feel. Either this church preaches Jesus or it is not the true church. That's the watershed. That's the most important thing. Plain and simple. There's a group of people out there in the world, and they call themselves Christians, but they're not. They believe that Jesus was created by God at some point in the future, or in the the past, and that when he was originally created, he was the Archangel Michael. That's crazy. That's not what it says at all. They don't have a proper Christology. Jesus is not precious enough to them. And they are not true believers. They are not Christians, even though they may claim to be. There's another group of people out there in the world who think that they are Christians, but they believe Jesus was simply a human being who made enough good choices and did some really good things. And so God the Father said, hey, you're so good that I'm going to make you the God of planet Earth. And the rest of you human beings, if you're good enough, then, then one day you'll get to rule your own planets as well. Jesus is not just the king of Earth. Jesus is the king of the universe. They have an insufficient Christology. They actually teach that, that Satan and Jesus are brothers. Jesus is not precious enough to them. They they don't know who he is. And so they're not true believers. They're not Christians. You see, one of the clearest ways to tell if a person really is a Christian is to simply ask them about Jesus. What does Jesus mean to you? Two decades ago, I was a brand new pastor in a different denomination, and uh, we had a big national conference, um, probably three, four hundred of us that gathered in the lower main hand. And we had a candidate coming forward to, we were electing a new president. Now, our previous president had resigned under some disgrace. And so all of us were quite guarded. And I mean, you know, guys from Trinity and guys with their doctorates and Bible school professors and missionaries. And and they literally took this this man and they grilled him for like two and a half hours. They asked him every question you could think of. Every little teeny tiny theological point that you could think of and some that you couldn't think of. And this man stood up there and he he just answered all of them with as much wisdom and grace as possible and I, I was young back then I had most of my hair still um, that's how young I was and I, I, I didn't want to stand up I didn't want to stick out and yet I felt this this compulsion and I, and I fought against it and I fought against it and then eventually I said I gotta do it so I get up to the microphone and I, I wind up in front of all of these learned pastors and and missionaries and bible school professors i ask this man what turns out to be the last question of the evening and and i say to him like i don't really care if you're intg or estp or ptsd i just don't tell me about jesus And he starts to get teary. And he says, I am so glad that you asked me this question because I was not going to be your president if you weren't going to ask me this question. And then he proceeds to tell us about his precious Savior, about how much he loves Jesus and how incredible Jesus has been in his life and it was just a moment where, I mean, he's, he's trying to explain what can't be put into words. How do, you, how do you tell people how you feel about Jesus, right? And it's like the Holy Spirit just came and, and settled in that room and let all of us know that it didn't really matter how we voted because God had chosen this man to be our next president because of his love for Jesus what sets Christians apart from the rest of the world is not our good moral stance not that we drive the speed limit because some of us don't what sets us apart is not our upright conservative worldview what sets us apart is not the things that we don't do I don't drink or smoke or chew or hang around with girls that do Buy lottery tickets. What sets us apart is not the things we do do. Like volunteering and being part of our community and paying it forward at the Tim Hortons lineup. What makes us different is Jesus. Jesus is precious to God the Father. Jesus is precious to all true believers. Peter's speaking to believers in Asia Minor 30 years after the death of Jesus. And he says, guys... You were not ransomed from your feudal way of living. You were not ransomed by anything so crass as gold or silver. Nothing so valueless as that. You were ransomed by something that has inestimable value. You were ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, you were lost. Drowning in the depths of your own depravity, vanquished by your own vicissitudes, hopeless, aimless, faithless. You had run out of options. All that faced you without Christ was this inevitable decline until the black dog came and took you into the darkness. You were so doomed without Jesus. And he changed all of that. He set you free. He forgave you from your past. He walks you through this present darkness, whatever it is that you're going through right now. And He promises you a bright hope and a glorious future. And all of it is absolutely free of charge. You don't even have to go down to the convenience store and fill out the six numbers. What would you say if someone rang your doorbell this afternoon and was standing there on your front step and they had a little piece of paper on your hand in their hand and it was that winning ticket for that $15 million lotto 649 and they said, I bought this in Woodstock, Ontario and I don't need it. Here, I want you to have it. What would you do? What would you say? <laughs> what you have in Jesus is... So much more valuable than that. Scott would go, no thanks, I have Jesus. <laughs> then he'd have to deal with Mabel. <laughs> True believers in Jesus know this. They know that Jesus is their world. Jesus is their everything. Everything. They're completely sold out to him. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I'll still follow. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. Is Jesus precious to you? How do you feel about about this man, Jesus? Jesus? This guy that multiplied bread and fishes, this guy that walked on water, this guy that went to a cross and then blew the doors off of the grave three days later. You see, the the verse 4 and verse 7 are connected to each other. Jesus is chosen and cherished by God the Father. And because he's chosen and cherished by God the Father, then anyone who's following God the Father also chooses and cherishes Jesus. Whoever the Father picks, we pick. We follow our Father's lead. We love who the Father loves. We cherish who the Father cherishes. This is the the clearest evidence that you've been born again. That you really have a new life, that your old life is gone and in the past, and that you are a new creation. The evidence of your new creation is how precious Jesus is to you. This is not just something reserved for the few, for the super spiritual. This is not just for Bible school professors or or missionaries or, or pastors. This is the thing Peter is hammering home and says applies to all of us. He's saying that if you really are saved, if you really are a believer in Jesus, then this Jesus has become more precious to you than any other thing in heaven or on earth. To you who believe, he's precious. And if you don't feel the value of Jesus in your life, if you don't desire him the way that a baby screams for milk... And I urge you, take a good hard look at your faith because there's something not right. Examine it carefully because if if your faith is just some dried up root curled around the dry rocks of habit or or tradition or custom or peer pressure, then your faith is, is clinging to the wrong thing. How precious is Jesus to you? How much is he worth to you? What would you give up in order to follow him? Where does Jesus fall on your list of desires? Because you know what? We make a list sometimes, right? Jesus is first, and usually our spouse is second, and third, and fourth, or whatever. There's no second place there's no second place one of the things i love about my wife is that she's got a big heart she loves a lot of people even people who don't love her she loves me go figure how she do that i don't know but her love for jesus is this blazing sun compared to her candle she has lit for me I love that about her Jesus is precious to her chosen and cherished well there's this show on TV and if you own a TV you've probably seen this show your husband has channel surfed through it and you've been saying stop Stop!" it's called hoarders you seen the show it's, it's a hard show to watch. It's, it's, a, it's a documentary about people who have become addicted to material things. It actually becomes a mental disorder for them. They cannot seem to throw anything away. They become habitual collectors until their stuff starts to take over. And some of you, it's March and you've started spring cleaning, right? Because you've seen hoarders and you don't want to star on it. Some of those houses are absolutely disgusting because once you start piling stuff up, it becomes almost impossible to keep it all clean. And then, and then the rats and the cockroaches move in. And so the people who love these people bring in psychologists and counselors and and a bunch of volunteers or paid help to help them clean up their stuff, to to haul it away to the dump because 99% of it is garbage. And, And usually on the show, that person is outside while these people are trying to help them clean up their mess, and that person is outside, and they're losing it. They're losing it over some inane piece of trash, a doll or a book, Or a roach-infested coffee cup. And what breaks me about this show is is that this person, this child of God, who's been created for eternity, they've become a victim of their stuff. They no longer own their stuff. Their stuff owns them. And they become so addicted to their stuff that they basically start shutting out all the people from their lives. You can't, you can't come over and visit. Like that's just Their children and their grandchildren, their garbage becomes more important to them than the people in their lives that they love. That breaks me. Hear me now. Please. If you hang on to too many things, if you elevate the importance of too many things in your life, if you start adding things to your list of things that matter and there's too many of them, then you actually start to diminish the importance, the value of the things that should matter the most. If everything is special, then nothing is special. And you have Jesus. You have the winning lottery ticket. Don't become missing millionaires. Don't pile your treasure under a pile of papers, cardboard boxes, kitty litter, and rat feces. You have Jesus. He is so incredibly precious. Please don't ever forget that. The Apostle Paul gives us a living example of this principle in his letter to the church in Philippi, where Paul, the apostle, writes this. He said, I once thought all of these other things were valuable, but now I consider them all to be worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. The mark of a child of God is not perfection. It's desire. We long for Jesus. The way through your difficulties is not success. It's faithfulness. We follow Jesus. And your witness... In a time of COVID, when fear and pestilence are stalking the planet, your witness is not your ability to do Google research. It's not your intelligence or your resilience or your belligerence. Your witness is Jesus. His love for you. Your love for him. Chosen and cherished. To you who believe. He's precious.